When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Turn up your volume. Because you're about to listen to The Sick Podcast. With Tony Marinero. Sports entertainment like no other. It's going to be sick. Brought to you by MyBookie. Use code SICKPIX for a 50% deposit bonus. Bet. Win. Get paid. Marinero, the SICK Podcast. Montreal Canadiens fans, wait till you hear and wait till you watch this. And you can watch it on Facebook and follow us on Instagram at the SICK Podcast. Also, our YouTube channel at the SICK Podcast as well. Like it and share it with your friends and subscribe. Joining me today, former Montreal Canadian, played for five teams in the National Hockey League. Mike Ribeiro, what's going on? How's it going, Tony? Mike, born and raised in Montreal, right? Yes. Whereabouts exactly? Saint Laurent and Mont Royal, around that corner. Around that corner. And at yeah. what point did you? At what point did you start playing, Mike? I guess I started skating. I was three, four. Started playing around five, six. And then that's the only thing for me was hockey was my school. Uh, safe to say that the, uh, the, the Montreal Canadiens, your favorite team growing up, yes or no? Yes, that was, you know, back in the day. And 93, you know, I was able to live the 93 Cup. I was 13. Uh, so, yeah, Montreal was my team. And um, I think my favorite player back in the day was Mats Naslund for the Montreal. <laughs> Number 26. One. Number 26 with skill. So I think when Montreal back in the name, uh, I think he was one of my favorite players. With the Torspo hockey stick. That's it, with that Jofa helmet. <laughs> Breakaway, fake forehand, go backhand, have the goalie open up the five hole and slide it five hole, huh? Yeah, well, he was small. He was a good skill player. So I could kind of like, I was small too. So it was, it was nice to have someone that I could watch every Saturday and every Montreal game. Didn't miss one. Hey, Matt Snazlin had a 110-point season. Yeah, uh, he was pretty sick back in the day. I used to love him. So uh, that was my favorite for the Montreal uh, growing up. Um, Did you ever meet him, Mike, at any point? No. He was more like, you know, like by the time I, I got drafted, he was gone a long time ago. So he was more the 80s. Uh, and then in the 90s, he had Vance on downfoots that I used to like a lot, Turgeon, uh, guys like that. But um, – my first memories of Montreal Canadian is like um, um, Matt Snaslu and uh, yeah. Bobby Smith, uh, all those guys that, that that I used to watch. Mike, I know it's not a popular thing to say, but if I was playing hockey nowadays, 
I wouldn't mind if I got drafted by the Florida Panthers, the Tampa Bay Lightning, in the sun, not too much media, relaxed, not that much pressure, go golfing, go fishing, go to the beach, right? Enjoy the weather. But yeah. for you growing up in Montreal, a Canadians fan, and you watch the Canadians win the cup in 93, and Matt Naslin, who won the cup in 86, was one of your favorite players growing up and stuff like that. You wanted to be a Montreal Canadian? Yeah, I wanted to be. And I think every every kid that comes from Quebec or Montreal, they want to be drafted by Montreal. I, I, I don't have a doubt in my mind that any kid that is from Montreal or Quebec they want to get drafted by Montreal. They want to play for their city. And especially as a young kid who grew up, let's say, French like I did, mm-hmm. and you get drafted. Like, I wanted to be drafted, like, close to home, right? So, like, Toronto, Ottawa, like, teams that were close to home. So, my parents, I can be close to my parents, close to what I know. Um, so, I think as 18, I, I was hoping for Montreal so I can stay home. I didn't even know how to speak English back in the day. Yeah, so it's kind of like a fear, but I think every kid wants to be drafted by Montreal if you're from there. So the '98 draft comes around, second round. The Montreal Canadiens with pick number forty-five. They're about to pick. You're where? Take me through it. So yes, I go to the draft. It's in Buffalo, '98, um, and I had great seasons in, in in the Quebec League, right? Yeah. So in my mind, my agent said second round, but as I'm watching the first one, I'm like, how is that possible, right? How's those guys getting drafted before me? Uh, but my repetition already started junior, right? I used to, I, I, I like to go out and, and, you know, teams weren't, weren't sure about me. So come second round, Ottawa's drafting 44. So in my mind, I'm like, okay, Ottawa, close to home. They know me, right? I played junior. They I might have a chance to go to Ottawa, right? Or yeah. Montreal's right after. So they picked Fisher, 44. And then I was like, okay, Montreal. I was hoping, right? My hands were crossed. I was like, I'm hoping that Montreal is going to pick me, right? And they did. So once they did, it was like, I was in, I remember being in Buffalo. I got drafted. And the same, as soon as I got drafted, uh, me and one of my buddies that got drafted by LA back in the day, uh, we drove back to Montreal. Okay. Because in Buffalo, you cannot go out. It's 20, uh, you have to be 21. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we got drafted. In Buffalo, it's, it's a pretty bad city to to do anything. So we just drove back to Montreal and went to party all night uh, with our jerseys on. We had our draft jerseys on when we went out. So that Where did you go? Time. Do you remember which club you went to? It was called Groove. It was more on the east side of uh, uh, Groove, Groove Society or something like that. Is that right? Yeah, back in 98. Uh, but yeah, my everyone was like Montreal, right? And I grew up there. So it was kind of amazing to be able to be drafted by Montreal. So in 99, 2000, you actually get the call by the... Uh, uh, you, you start the season in Montreal in 99, 2000, right? Exactly. But I, I think a lot of pressure was put on the team from the media. So at 18, I was too small. I was like, uh, 5'10", 145, 150. Uh, but then I went back junior. I had a great season. I got a lot of confidence. So at 19, I had a great training camp, right? Mm-hmm. I think I finished on the top scores of the team. So the media was put a pressure to keep me, to sign me. And it worked. They, they signed me for my contract. I played 19 games. 
But back in the day, if you played fourth line, you played four minutes. And out of those four minutes, you got two fights because you were playing with, I was playing, my first line was Gino Ojik and Tim Cummins. So those are two fighters. So when I started at 19, I was playing four minutes a game. So halfway through the year, they send me back junior. It was better for me to go play a lot of ice time than not play or play in the fourth line and kind of waste my year. But by then, I made a little bit of money because I was in Montreal for mm-hmm. half of the year. So when I went back junior with money, I went out all the time, right? And yeah. the summer came in Montreal. I went out in Montreal all summer. So when I got to camp at 20 years old, I was out of shape. I was not ready. So I went one year in the American League. Wow. That's where I played in Quebec for a year. All right. So then, you know, you, you have some good moments with the Montreal Canadiens. Uh, by the time, you know, 2005, 2006 rolls around, Mike Ribeiro has played 79 games. He's got uh, 16 goals. He's got 35 assists. He's got 51 points. And that was your season. The following season, to start the 06 season, it was actually a preseason game. And I remember, I remember it, Mike. Because I was driving to the game, and I had just pulled into the parking lot. And I heard on the radio that Mike Ribeiro was traded to the Dallas Stars. I'm sure you remember that night. Take me through it. Were you in warm-up yet, or was it, you were about to go in warm-up? I was about to go in warm-up. So, yeah, what happened at, at 23 years old, I finished top scorer of the Montreal Canadiens. Okay, I finished the first one. But... At 24, we got the lockout. Yeah. After the lockout, they changed all the rules, right? You can't grab anymore, can't touch, can't, can't do anything, right? Mm-hmm. I was not a fast skater, so I had to adjust to the speed of the game, right? So in 05, 06, I had 51 point or something like that. Yeah. Because, freak, the game changed, right? Yeah. You couldn't hold anymore. You couldn't do anything. So I had to adjust. And at 06, I'm actually half-dressed. Uh, stretching uh, outside the room right before the game, and yeah. I think it was not not Jervis, but um, one of the trainers came up and told me, "Hey, Bob wants to see you uh, in the office." It was preseason, right? I was like, "Okay, what's going on?" Right? Yeah, uh, because that what summer, a, what, a, what did I do now? Actually, that summer, uh, maybe like halfway through the summer, Bob. Uh, calls me, said, Mike, let's have a meeting, right? There's a lot of rumors going out there that you're going to get traded. And he's like, you know what? Don't worry about it. Just focus on your game. We're not going to trade you, right? So when I start to go start the season, I'm like, okay, they're not going to trade me. I'm just going to have a good season and force them to sign me. And then I'm stretching. They call me in. Bob, I get in the office. Bob goes, uh, you trade to Dallas. Um, good luck. That's and, it. That's it. That's the only like the three three four words. You've been traded to Dallas. Uh, good luck, Mike. And that's it. That was it. I turned around and then um, I guess the media guys came up and set me up to to go to Dallas, right? Yeah. But then I'm from Montreal. I had never moved, right? And uh, to like Dallas, I'm like, where where's Dallas? Like, wow. do I need a freaking horse when I get there? Is it Cowboys? Like. I didn't know. I had no idea, right? But then when I got here, it was like, like you said it before, like there's no media, there's no pressure. 
Uh, when I played in Dallas, we had the Mavericks that win the championship. You have yeah. the Cowboys. You got the Cowboys before anything else. And then you had baseball, and then you had hockey. So after games, you had one camera. You had one, one journalist in the room. Yeah. And, and in the newspaper, you had the last right corner of the last page talking about hockey. Yeah. So, so the pressure was different, right? It was a different, I was older yeah. too. So it was kind of different, uh, different so mindset. Mike, Mike, you're probably not going to remember this, but I do. Uh, you were quoted back then as basically blaming the media for your exit. That was one thing. Then you gave some advice and you said to the media, leave the kid, let Andres alone. Uh, you also said that, you know, the media were hard on the kids from Quebec. You remember who you told that to? Was that you? <laughs> I want to show you something. I don't know if you can see this here. Okay. Yeah. Uh, here we go. Okay. Here's a piece. And there's Ronaldo Morial. Okay. Yeah. And here's another one from you. All right. So you have, uh, um, you have uh, your awards and all the accolades and stuff like that. And us in the media, this is what we have, right? I have a few articles in a binder, all right? But, so I hear that you get traded. And at that point, everyone's looking for you, right? Yeah. But I was arriving maybe a little bit later. I said, listen, if I go upstairs, I'm probably going to miss Mike by when he's coming downstairs to go to the parking lot. And if you remember, of course, there's two parking lots. One is for the general public. And yeah. the other one is for players and staff of the Montreal Canadiens, right? Yeah. And there's a fence separating both. Long story short, I said, you know what? I'm not going to move from the parking lot. If I miss the game, I miss the game. I don't care. Ribeiro has to leave the building. I'm going to stick around here. So I see you in the garage, and I call you over, and you're right there. And I think the door, the, the door or the fence was open. Anyway, I make my way to the other side, and I caught you hot at that time. And I want to read. I was, uh, I was quoted here, okay? Yeah. Mon camarade Tony Marinaro, euh, l'a intercepté dans le stationnement à sa sortie du centre Bell. C'est de votre faute si j'ai mauvaise réputation. En faisant allusion aux médias en général, vous essayez toujours de trouver des histoires qui brassent de la merde. Vous insistez pour que des Québécois viennent jouer avec le Canadien. So basically, translation, uh, Bertrand Raymond in the Journal de Montréal back in October the 3rd of 2006 wrote uh, that me, Tony Marinero, I intercepted you in the parking lot in the garage of the, uh, of the Bell Center, uh, which was then the, uh, yeah, it was the Bell Center. And you said, quote, it's your fault, the media, if I have this kind of reputation, uh, you always try and find stories and stir up stuff. You insist that players from Quebec play for the Montreal Canadiens. And when they're there, you guys try and destroy them. My question to you today, and thanks for the quote, Mike. It's the first time I think I made it in the, the, the paper back then. It was uh, a couple of years into the business. But anyway, um, was it the media's fault that you were traded, in your opinion, when you look back 15 years later? I won't. I won't start like now that I'm older. Like blame, blame someone, right? I've done what I've done, and but the media size, the media part of it is. If you look at history, 
if you guys want to kick someone out of there, you guys will do it. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who he is. If if the media's done with a player or a coach or a GM, they will put him out somehow. And it's not directly, but by what is said. While well, you're you're giving information to people, and then and then you got a lot of power. Media in Montreal has a lot of power. And what I was trying to say, especially me, <laughs> I'm trying to say is that there's uh, French media and English media. You don't have that anywhere else in the league other than Montreal, right? Yeah. And as a journalist, you need to sell your papers, right? That's just common sense. How are you going to sell them is by having a story. And if my French site, my French story is better than yours, you're going to have to come out with something, right? So I'm not accusing them. I'm just saying a lot of kids, French kids or kids from Montreal that come play, mm-hmm. well, the, the, the leash is shorter. I just find it shorter compared to a Russian kid. The Russian kid will say, well, he's Russian. He's not from here. We'll give him more, more time. But if you're a player, a top player in Montreal, and you're French, you better you better produce, right? You better do something, Mike. But Mike, but on the flip side, you don't think that it also works the opposite way at times that kids from here, the media is more patient with them, and they're given a longer leash. You don't find that? It can it can go both sides. Look at me, like when I signed my first year, the media was pushing for me, right? Of course, correct. It was it kind of goes both ways. Yeah, but a lot of times in Montreal, the players compared to and anywhere about how much he makes yeah and once he makes too much in montreal for people's liking about what he gives back then you got confliction but because montreal is a bigger market players get paid more it's it's, it's just a bigger like you play you get paid more not because you're better you get paid more because of the market you're in yeah right because like pk okay pk is a great player but 10 a year, I don't know. If he would have played in Jersey all his career, he might not have 10 million a year. You know what I mean? Yeah. So depend. I, I'm not saying, I'm just wanting like the media to support a lot, uh, a little bit more the team or the only thing we have in Montreal. Uh, With Mike Ribeiro, uh, it's the Sick Podcast and it's brought to you by my bookie. Use code SICKPICKS for a 50% deposit bonus. Bet, win, get paid. I'm Marinero. Mike, I look back at that trade, right, for Yanni Ninema, and clearly you went on to do pretty good things in Dallas, and Dallas won that deal. But I have to ask you, though, um, because now you said you're, you're, you're ready and able to say the real things. You were 26 years old, 25 or 26. You were in the prime of your career. The year before, the, you know, the, the couple of years before, you were the number one point getter on the team. The year before, like you mentioned, there was an adjustment. The rules changed. You were the fourth leading point getter on the team. I believe it was Kovalev, Koivu, Ryder, and then Ribeiro. They traded you away for almost nothing. Mm-hmm. Mike, why did they trade you? That's a good question. And that's why, like, I'm still trying. Like, I never talked to Bob since, right? I don't know really the, the bottom line. The only speculation I have is that I was going out, right? Or I was different a little bit than most players because I like to talk back. I like to say what I think to the media after a game. or So I'm not sure. The only thing I'm thinking is my repetition of going out too much or not being focused enough on my body. And, you know, but 
the the only thing I can think is that they wanted to get rid of me or kick yeah. me out of Montreal, and they did by sending me as far as possible. And I didn't come back to Montreal. It had to be like three years. Dallas didn't come here. I think it was three years after we came to okay. Montreal. Yeah. So once again, it's it's probably a question to ask Bob. Weren't you a star in the game when you came back to Montreal? Yes, I was number one star. Yeah, I always yeah. had good games against Montreal after I got traded from there. Mike, uh, Mike, Mike, did you get in trouble when you were a Montreal Canadian? Did you get in trouble? I never had a meeting about uh, something I did or like what what I was doing outside the ring. They never brought me in and say, "Hey, Mike, you've done this, and because of that, you're gonna have to get traded." Nothing like that. I, like they never told me that. They brought me in in the summer before I got traded, telling me that the media is tell- saying a lot of things that you're gonna get traded. Don't worry about it. So I was like, okay, I'm not going to worry. I'm just going to focus on hockey. And then they traded me. But they didn't give me an explanation why they traded me, right? All right. So so, so you, you stay in Dallas for six years. You have some great years there. Then you go to the Washington Capitals. From there to the Phoenix Coyotes. And finished off your uh, NHL career with three years with the Nashville Predators. Mike, as we fast forward later on in your career you had problems with substance abuse. What were you doing? What were you taking? So here's, so until then, until like 27, I was yeah. only on a one-year contract. Okay. Right? So one-year contract, I still have to prove myself this year to have, be able to have another contract, right? The year that I signed, I signed a five years, 25, I think it did change me a little bit. And it didn't just change me. It did change people around me too, right? Because now I'm making a lot more money and I'm a, a star. I'm a number one center. I'm like, so you get entitlement, right? Mm-hmm. There's a lot of things you do that you don't you don't get, you know, you don't get slapped for. Or I remember even like uh, the speeding tickets back in the day. If you had a speaking, uh, speeding tickets, mm-hmm. you give that to your, the cop of the team and they clear it out. You don't get... You don't pay your tickets, right? Your speeding tickets. So you become entitled to things that, you know, you shouldn't. And the money did change me a little bit because now that I understood that it's a guaranteed contract, they have no, it doesn't matter what I do, they still going to have to pay me. So I became more carefree. I didn't really care. I always, I always smoked uh, weed all my career, right? Or uh, I, I smoked cigarettes too. So that's one regret. It was not taking care of my body, but mm-hmm. I think money did change me a little bit. And like, when did you start smoking weed? Fuck, I was probably like 18, 17, 18. Okay. And then cigarettes around the same time, probably. You know, obviously before that, I used to have one here and there. And then I used to, like, 18, 19, 20, I started smoking more and more. How many, when you were playing in the National Hockey League? <laughs> how much? Close- was, How much weed would you smoke? So I used to smoke, let's say, close to a pack of cigarette a day. Okay. And uh, I used to smoke weed every after every game. Okay. I uh, used to get home, smoke weed, watch the game, right? And then uh, the day before the game, I'll... You hold on a second. You would watch what game after? I would watch, watch my game. So, so you'd play? You'd smoke so weed? So I play my game, go home, smoke weed, sit down, watch my game. Wow. So a lot of my shootout moves came watching that game, those games, 
and just being in my backyard and just thinking about things to do and then go back and practice and try it and it worked. And then I used to smoke the day before the game used to be more like in the afternoon I used to smoke and then and then just relax for the the rest of the day. But you admitted to me that when you were drafted, you, you know, you, you went in the second round because you had a reputation with partying. And then you actually drove back to Montreal from the draft in Buffalo to party that night. You partied throughout your entire career. Partying goes with drinking too. Were yes. You, you drank a lot? So I, I, like, I don't drink at home, right? I never, okay. I never drink at home. Uh, like I don't have beers in my fridge. I don't have wine in here. Like I don't drink at home. But when I go out, I'm going to drink, right? What do you a drink? Bit, a little bit too much sometimes. What do you drink? Like, usually vodka. Okay. Back in Montreal, it was a little bit harder. I guess I was younger. It was easier to you're, drink. And, you're, and you're, you're, Port, you're Portuguese, so vodka, sumol? Sumol pineapple soda? Or? No, I'm a... I'm, uh, uh, how do you call it? Vodka? Oh, sorry. Yeah, um, I forgot about the name of it now. might have drank too much of it. Um, vodka cranberry. Oh, Grey Goose. I go Grey Goose. Oh, great. oh, just straight. You don't mix it with anything. Or like water, depends, tonic or whatever. That's what okay. I used to do. But I think money did change me a little bit. Uh, changed people around me. They saw me different. They they made more friends that I, I don't know their names or don't, you know, you just, people just pop out from, yeah. because you're making more money, right? But it did change me. It got me thinking that I was entitled of things that I'm not, right? Mike, and, Mike, when you were making that money, five years, $25 million, you said you started to hang out with different people. When you start to hang out with different people, you start going out. Usually those different people are probably high rollers. How much money were you spending? Uh, well, I was lucky to have my children, right? So I did, you know, I did buy myself stuff that I like, but I, always in the back of my mind, the money I was making was for my children. So I was... You know, the first thing I told my advisor back in, when I started in Montreal was, look, mm -hmm. I want to live the same way when I retire. So we need a plan here that when I retire, I want to live the same way. I don't want to go back to have to like stress or go work or do something. Yeah. So, yes, I did uh, spend some money, right? I bought myself stuff. I went out and stuff. But I was always putting money aside for this, for my children, for after my career. Mm -hmm. And I'm not, I'm saying if I was single, I don't know, I might've blown my money before 30, you know, Yeah. but I wasn't, I like, like you talk about a uh, vendor, I don't know what's going on. What's his name? He's in uh, San Jose. King. King. He's been single all his life. No children, nothing. Even the temptation will be higher because yeah. you have, you have yeah. no responsibilities. Yeah. So a lot of times, yes, I went out and yes, I did stuff, but I still had a family and kids, so it's not like I was going out Monday through Monday, right? So, you know, it's just that when I went out, I went hard. Mike, back in the day with the Canadians, um, you and Saku Koivu, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't the best of friends. You, you've gone on record as saying that, you know, um, Saku wasn't always in a good mood when uh, he wouldn't produce. He would be in a great mood when he produces. I, I kind of understand that. It sounds normal to me. But, you know, there was a dust-up at one time, you two, in practice. And when you look back now, um, why do you think you guys weren't on the same page? Well, so the same for me when I was number one center. There's there's kids, there's guys coming coming and trying to steal your job. Yeah. yeah. 
you're still like it's it's your teammate but at the same time it's your coworker right it's a job right yeah so i'm i'm trying to become a number one center and you're the number one center so obviously right there there's a little friction because you know i'm there to take your spot right yeah so if i was just a fort line guy that didn't really matter that other guys came through that were fort line that didn't have a problem with cycle mm-hmm. because you're not there to take his job you're just part of the team yeah but if i'm there to take your job well there's pressure on him to produce because if he does and this kid will still my job right mm-hmm. so that was the feeling i had was like that he was not liking me because i was one of i was there to steal his job right is it is it also and and that's understandable if it happened is it also possible that he knew the way you were and the going out and what you were doing and he wanted to try and break you for the good of the team it could but it's not like he wasn't going out you know what i mean like and yeah. that's one and that's one when i when you become older and understand that they're still your co-workers Mm-hmm. So if a guy wants to sell my job, well, if I, if I do something, he might go tell the coach, right? Yeah. You know what I mean? It's it's still a business. It's still a job. Yeah. And that's why, like, yes, it's a family. It's, a, you know, you work for one goal and it's the same goal. And that's yeah. why and that's why back in the day, it didn't really matter what you did outside the ring. It was mm-hmm. more when you step on the ice, you better produce for the team. You better make us win. That was the mentality of most teams where, yeah. okay, we're not, we don't care much what he does outside the ring. If he shows up at the ring and make us win. Right. Yeah. So that was the both sides too. For me, I got it. it. Like, I was going out, but still producing. Right. Yeah. So it's kind of like a, a, a sword with two sides. Like, right. I got double-edged sword. He's Mike Ribeiro. I'm Tony Marinero. It's a sick podcast. Go to sportbuffshop.com for all of your officially licensed sports apparel and more. Use code SICKHOODIES15 for 15% off on all hoodies for uh, your favorite sports teams. Mike's a hoodie guy, so am I, and you can get them for your favorite sports teams there. Mike, how prevalent was alcohol and drugs in the National Hockey League when you played? Well, that goes that goes when I started, like... When I started, we used to get to hotel rooms and the beers were there. It was like, that. what's what we drink after games? It's a beer after the game and guys would go to the room and drink. Uh, flying, a lot of flying in the planes. You drink a, you're drinking a glass of wine. You're drinking a beer, flying. Mm-hmm. And I think they stop that a lot on your way home nowadays. You're not allowed to drink mm-hmm. because you got to drive after to get home. Mm-hmm. But if you go from city to city... And not coming back home, or then guys get in the plane and and you drink, right? Like you, yeah, you play cards and you drink wine, and uh, you go to dinner, you'll have a bottle of wine, or after games you'll go out and you'll drink, and and yes, it's part of it's part of society. It's not just yeah. part of hockey; it's just part of society. Even like look in Montreal, you guys closed everything. What did you keep open? <laughs> SRQ, yeah. SRQ, and the other one. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, it's part of, it's part of society, right? Um, Mike, you you had I want to get to Dallas. You had some good years in Dallas where you picked up 59 points, 83 points, 78 points, 53 points, 71 points, 63 points. Talk to me about how much you appreciated Dallas. How much did you like it, Mike? I loved Dallas and one of the reasons I loved it is because yeah. they believed in me. So 
and and they're like they believe Tippett believed in me that I could be a number one and that I can help. And I played he played me like a number one center. But I felt it as a player that they trust me. They 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 believe in me. Mm-hmm. So that just transparent like that just showed on the eyes because man, those people like me. They they love me. They mm-hmm. I can just go and play and not question if the coach likes me. Or am I doing something wrong? No, Mike, you can do. Go play your game. Uh, make sure you don't turn the puck over, but just go play. And that that confidence from the coach to give me and the trust from the coach made me play a lot better. Uh, and uh, and if you look at my career, as if I was number one center, I used to have between 70, 80, like you said. Yeah. If I go back to second center, now my points will be between 50 and 70. So first center, 70, 80. Second one, 50, between 50 and 70. And then yeah. it goes down. It depends how you get used too, right? And Yeah. And, yeah. You, make so, a, you make your way to Washington. What was the thought process behind that? So I'm in Dallas. I'm in my last year of my five, uh, fifth year of contract. Okay. Yeah. But we, we changed coach already twice. Tippett was there for three or four. Then we had Crawford, and then they brought some other a younger guy from the minors, mm-hmm. and we clashed. Right, we just clashed. Our, our IDs mm-hmm. weren't the same. We didn't see the game the same. So he puts me second center, right, in Dallas. Uh, it was Galutzen, I think. Exactly. There it yeah. goes. Uh, but he coached the younger guys in the minors, right? He coached mm-hmm. uh, Ben. He coached all those young guys. Now he yeah. comes up, and now Benny comes becomes first center. And I'm like, Benny was still too young to be an M1 center in my mind, right? He wasn't okay. ready yet to take that role, right? And it took him, what, five, six years to become that number one center that they were looking. So I go in, I'm like, look, just trade me. I just want to be trade. I want to, like, I want to play, right? right? I don't want to be in the second part play. I don't want to be, like, second line. I want to be, I still believe I can play. Like, I'm, I'm right there. I'm like, mm-hmm trade me somewhere right but i had a trade clause so i could choose where i was going okay so washington comes up right and i'm like yes well yeah. i have a chance to play with ov good offensive players i'm going yeah. there right yeah. so I, i'm like okay i'm going to washington i get to washington there's a lockout again after season mm-hmm. so i only play 40 close to 50 games with them or something like that and yeah. it's my best year obviously right like yeah. I'm on a power play with OV. I'll just give it to him. It's, it's an yeah. assist, right? Your point of game, I think. Yeah. A point of game, right? We yeah. have a good year, but the salary cap in Washington is maxed out. I become free agent. Hold on a second before you do. Yeah. Did you party with Ovechkin? We did a little bit, but by then, yeah. Uh, like Backstrom, OV, Greener, they had like serious girlfriends and like. Okay. Uh, like engage and stuff. So they, they used to go out less, but we did we did add a few parties, team parties and stuff like that with Ovi. A few Ovi's glasses a big, of vodka. Ovi's a big kid. So like we had a party at my house, Super Bowl party, and yeah. he's playing he's playing video games with my kids. You know what I mean? He's he's that kind of guy. He's like, you like him? Love him. Love them. Really? Yes. He's a big he's a big kid, right? Do you still keep in touch with him by any chance or uh, once in a while, I'll send him like on uh, social media or something here and yeah. there. Uh, Tell him I say going. hi. I will. <laughs> he's a big Russian. But yeah, he was great. He was great. Uh, great teammate too. Uh, funny guy. But um, 
Okay, so from there, you end so up from in Arizona. There, so, yeah, so then the season finished in Washington. The, yeah. The salary caps, bro. So they offered me a three-year at $3 million. But I just made five for five and had my best years of my career. So I was like three for three. Like I want to win, but it still doesn't make sense. It didn't make sense yeah. in my mind. So I go to Phoenix. Tippett is there. That coached me in Dallas. Yeah. Like, okay, so I signed a four-year, 20-something. Yeah. Okay, once again, it's guaranteed money. So I know that, right? They, they got It doesn't matter what I do. They got, they got to pay me, right? So I get there the first year in Phoenix. Uh, I'm separated from my wife and kids. They stay in Dallas. <laughs> and I'm in Phoenix by myself. Uh, and then as the year goes, it didn't start too bad. But as the year goes, I was missing my – I just wanted to go back to Dallas. I just wanted to be with my family, my kids, and fix what was going on, right? Are we going to yeah. stay together? Are we going to move forward? What are we doing here kind of thing? Because you so guys my, were going through a hard time as a family. As a family. So I just wanted wow. to go back. I didn't see my kids all year. I wanted to go – I wanted to be with them. And yeah. Hockey became second. I didn't care. Uh, so I kept going out. I didn't care about showing up in practice. Um Right, drunk from the night before. I didn't care. I just wanted the year to be over. You used to skip yeah. practices, Mike? No. Didn't okay. skip practices or, or games and stuff like that, right? Uh, but I didn't want to be there. I just okay. wanted to go back. So after a year uh, of partying, I partied all year, right? I just went out all year. Uh, what's, what's, what's the craziest night of partying that you did in Phoenix? Oh, that's a good question. I used to go out almost Monday through Monday, right? Wow! Every night, I was like every night. Because Mike, I was, when you would when you would go to the clubs, did you pay or was it on the house or were the people well, that you was, were hanging yeah, with paying or? It depends where, right? Yeah. Like even in Montreal, a lot of places that I knew the owner or yeah, I knew like then it was you didn't really pay for your drinks, but you know other places that you don't know, then you'll pay for it, right? Yeah. Uh, some places are happy to have you there, right? Because Mike Ribeiro will attract other people. People know that you go there and, hey, you know what? You're on us tonight. Yeah, that happened yeah. a few times, right? Yeah. But uh, it happens with me, too. <laughs> will you give them a free hoodie? <laughs> I'll trade you a free, a free, free hoodie for a free, a free drink here. <laughs> no, Mike, Mike. So you're going out seven times, seven nights a week, but I, there, there has to be. One night where you were just okay. What's the most you consumed in one night of partying? Wow, like alcohol wise, I was never a big drinker. I used to buy bottles and have two drinks. Wow, but then I'll go one night, I'll go eight drinks, right? I'll say, like, okay, wow, that's a good question. But the best time, the best, Mike, at this point, about this point, Mike, past Phoenix. You moved on, like okay, your the weed is still part of your of your of your routine, right? Yeah. But now now you've taken it to another level, right? I did for the first time. So I used to do cocaine, uh, just in the summer, right? So I used okay. to take a weekend in the summer and party right all weekend, and then stop and just go with my weed and my cigarette, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but never did hard drugs when I played. Uh, during the season, never. Uh, but that year after Christmas, mm -hmm. so after I say January or something, I mm -hmm. was done. I didn't like the I didn't like the to go to the rink because it's kind of weird in Phoenix when you go to the rink. It's 
50 minutes from your house. Even for games, there's no one in the building. And if there's someone in the building, it's for the other team. This is kind of weird vibe. Depressing. Yeah, the, it was kind of weird, right? But yeah. the city, but the city's great. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so after that year, they they tell me, well, if you go to rehab, go to rehab, take care of yourself, and then you'll come back to the team, right? So, in my mind, like I wasn't ready to just quit my weed and my stuff, right? Mm-hmm. But I had kind of no choice to go if I wanted to keep my career. So it was really going to rehab, not for me, right? It was more to shut up people so I can keep playing, right? Mm-hmm. So I went one year. I went there. I went for 45 days to rehab, got out of rehab. And when I got out, Phoenix told me, okay, we're done. And I was like, well, I thought you told me to go to rehab so I can keep coming. Because I, I think that year I still had close to 50 points, I think. not in, And I wasn't playing sober too many nights, right? Mm-hmm. So anyway, they kick they 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 buy me out, right? It's guaranteed money, so they had to pay me until last year, I think, or something like that. Okay. So come summertime, I have no job. I'm a free agent, right? I just came out of uh, rehab, so I know that the contracts will be minimum, or like a million will be the max I can get, right? Mm-hmm. But I know in my mind that I've been healthy. I went to rehab. I'm going to be focused in the summer, and when I get my one year one uh, one million. I'm going to have a great season and force them to sign me longer, right? Yeah. That was always in my mind. Like, if I focus and yeah. I'm playing, I'm going to produce. If I work hard, I'm going to produce. That's just the way it is. Mm-hmm. And and that's why I did. But the way I got picked up by Nashville, actually, Alain Vigneault called me after rehab. Yeah. And he was in New York, right? Yeah. That's what, that the year they went to the finals. Yeah. So he calls me. He's like, Mike. You want to come here, right? But then I, I talked to LA. I'm like, LA, I just came out of rehab. And now you're asking me to go to New York. It's like, it's going to be tough. It's, it's going to be a tough one for me to go from rehab to the biggest city, the biggest, wow. you know, one of my you, favorite cities. You were honest with him. I couldn't. I was like, yeah. I can. Like, I'm trying to get back with my family, do the right thing. If I go to New York, there's no way I'm going to do the right thing. I, oh, I knew in my mind, right? Why, why didn't your family follow, Mike? Like, when they were in Dallas, they just loved Dallas so much, or the kids had their friends there, or what happened? No, they did follow. The problem is, like, my mistakes made them come, like, so they came with me to Washington. Okay. But obviously, I wasn't uh, faithful there. So when we moved to Phoenix, well, you know, she knew. She knew something was going, so she decided to go from Washington to Dallas instead. Okay. Because the marriage wasn't wasn't going, and the kids were up you. in Dallas, they went to school. Everything was like all their friends are here, right? I hear you. So, uh, so whatever I go to, but the way I got my wife at the time uh, figures out that Fisher gets hurt in Nashville. Yeah, but Don Meehan and Dave Paul are not friends, so they uh, Meehan doesn't call him, don't even think about it, right? We're just talking with Rangers. Okay. So I called Donnie. I'm like, Donnie, Fisher, Mike Fisher just got hurt in Nashville. Yeah. They need a center. Call them. Talk to them, right? So he was able to talk. We flew to Nashville. Uh, LaViolette uh, La and Paul, we met them with my wife. and uh, Yeah. And decided to sign me for one year. Okay. And then I had a great year with uh, Phil Forsberg. Yeah. 
but all the, we had a great year. And then he, they signed me for two more years at three, five, I think, or something like that. Wow. And then by the end of my career, I lost the passion. I wasn't passionate about hockey anymore. Wow. Like, like every morning I got up was like, oh, I have to go to work. Like once it became work and not my love of hockey and it was over. It was over in my mind. Like I had every morning I was like, I have to go to practice. Mike, did you have to go to rehab again after that? Near the end, you went back. Did you not? Or I did uh, not. At, well, after my career, yeah. After my okay. career, uh, two, three years after, I think that was it last year, last year, mm -hmm. last year, I decided to go in for uh, three months, three, four months. But this time was the, because the first time I went wasn't for me. I got I wasn't, it. I wasn't there to get better. I was there to like, I want to keep playing. Right. You okay and, now? Well, it's about every day, right? You got to yeah. like, you got to like keep your days full. You got to like uh, stay away of temptation, but it's everywhere. Like, don't give me, it's everywhere. It's like people talk about drinking the NHL. Yeah. Okay. But every commercial between, between uh, shifts or every commercial during the game is about what? <laughs> yeah. Budweiser. It's about alcohol, right? It's, yeah. It's, it's just part of the society. So, uh, but The problem is that when you're young, it's kind of infused into your mind that if you're a hockey player, you're a rock star. And if you're a rock star, you want to be a hockey, you want to be a sport guy, right? Yeah. So the the pro the 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 thinking is that okay, when I get drafted, I'm gonna get a lot of money, a lot of girls, I'm gonna go out. And it's the mentality. And I think it's less and less with kids nowadays. Yeah. Uh, because of social media or like you cannot really You can't really go out without no one really know it or the, the word doesn't go out, right? If back in the day, like I yeah. used to go out, let's say in 98, 97, well, no one had an iPhone to take a picture of me in the bar. Like you couldn't know, like the people that were there knew I was there, but the other million people that didn't have Facebook, or didn't have social yeah. media, couldn't find out, right? So it's different, okay. different mentality, different... Uh, Mike, you've been you've been through everything. So, what advice? Number one, you give your son who's playing hockey right now. Uh, have you talked to him about drugs and staying away? And number two, what advice do you give young hockey players? Not only your son, or even players in the National Hockey League nowadays. You've li you've been through it all. You've lived through it all. What advice do you want to give it ending? So, uh, like for my kid, you know, for my son, obviously they've been part of it. Like they know I went to rehab. Uh, we've been transparent with them. Uh, they know my problems and what it is and whatnot. One thing I told my 16 is you cannot have a girlfriend until you get drafted. That's one of the things. Uh, especially at 15, 16, 17, if your goal is to make the NHL, you cannot have distraction. And I had girlfriends at 16, 17. And, you know, they'll call you right before the game and say something that, that turns you off or that makes you not be in the game anymore so uh so that's one thing i told him is take care of your body you know what i mean your body is your vessel if you want to be an nhl player i didn't and that's mm -hmm. the biggest regret is not focusing on me my body what it needs for me to pr perform at the max eat well so like it doesn't drink pop right now like eat well sleep well and you gotta like if you want to become a hockey player you gotta uh sleep dream uh breakfast everything has to be about hockey and like nowadays kids don't like i used to sit down and watch the canadians play 
Nowadays, kids don't do that. There's not there's not a kid that's going to sit beside you and watch a game, a full game. Their no, phones, no. their videos, uh, the games, you know, Instagram, and so, everything to distract you. So it's it's really from 15 to 17. I think it's your biggest years. And if you can put all your energy into hockey and what's going to make you better player, better person, that's your main goal. And keep the distraction away, but focus on yourself. And you got to believe, like, I remember being a kid, you got to tell yourself, like, I was like nine, 10 years old playing NHL already in my mind. Yeah. You know what I mean? I was already like game sevens outside. I was already there. Right. So you like vision yourself there. Like, like there's, I tell my kid a lot of times the night before the game, right. Like I remember being in my bed, like just scoring goals, like, like just in your mind, scoring goals, making moves. Just, just cause, right? You got to live. You got to eat. Visualization, it. all of it. Yes. Yeah. I, like before, I went to bed. I had a, almost a hat trick every night. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, just if you want to do it, and and that's a problem too. I think with not just hockey, but society in general, is that as a kid, when you have a dream, most people around you will tell you you should get a plan B because your plan A is not going to work. Wow. But if I have a plan A and a plan B, then it means that my energy will be split, right? So I really think if you if if you want to do something in life, yeah, if you put your energy and really believe in yourself that you're going to do it, you're going to make it, you're going to increase your chance of winning. But staying out of bars, drugs, I mean, it doesn't bring you good. That's for sure. Mike Ribeiro, uh, you had a lot of downs. Uh, but you were able to get back up, and that's a sign of uh, you're able to rebound, man, and uh, you're doing better today, and I'm so happy that you are. Thanks for sharing your story, bud, and keep on fighting the fight. Great advice you gave today. Thanks, Thanks. Mike. Thanks, Tony. All right, he's Mike Ribeiro. Is this the best podcast you've ever done in your life, yes or no? Yeah, I'll say yes. (laughs) Follow us on Facebook. Wait, wait, I'll say the best one in English. (laughs) <laughs> Follow us on Facebook and Instagram. It's at the Sick Podcast. Like it and share it with your friends. Mike Ribeiro, you be well and you be safe. Thank you. Thank you, guys. And that's a wrap. Hope you don't miss us too much until next time. Follow the Sick Podcast on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, Google Play, and Apple Podcasts. The Sick Podcast is brought to you by MyBookie. Use code SICKPIX for a 50% deposit bonus. Bet, win, get paid.